This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Skolarsep, and MLS 2020 is almost here. We're only a few days, you could actually say we're only a few hours away from the start of the 25th season for Major League Soccer. And uh, I got to say, it's a pretty exciting time right now uh, when you think about the fact that we're up to 26 teams and uh, plenty of teams spent big this offseason to try to revamp their rosters and boost their rosters. And as much as uh, we did see some of the league's bigger names move on, such as Latan Ibrahimovic and Wayne Rooney and Bastian Feinsteiger, uh, we also saw MLS bring in some new blood and some new stars, such as Chicharito Hernandez, Rodolfo Pizarro, Alan Pulido. Uh, I noticed they're all Mexican players, but still it's, it's a good sign to see uh, some players who in the past you might not have envisioned joining MLS at this point in their careers, but I think it just shows that the landscape is changing and the league is changing. And now with, with there being more money to spend on players, you're seeing teams take advantage of that. And you're also seeing you're seeing teams that can now attract younger prospects and uh, th- those teams that, that have taken full advantage of that, like like the LAFCs and Atlanta Uniteds, it's great to see how they're starting to put rosters together. And now we're starting to see some more exciting soccer and we're starting to see some teams that are really uh, getting serious about building strong squads. The Major League Soccer held a 25th anniversary kickoff event in New York City on Wednesday. And you saw uh, a lot of the a lot of the big names in American soccer in attendance, including Don Garber, Greg Berhalter, uh, David Beckham was there uh, to discuss at Inter Miami, and they're, they're finally going to be here. We're finally going to get a team back in Miami. And yes, I know it's not technically Miami; it's technically Fort Lauderdale, but we don't need to get into the semantics. The fact is, Beckham's team is finally going to play, and uh, we'll be discussing uh, Inter Miami among the other Eastern Conference teams on this episode. I'm splitting it up between the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference just because there's so many teams that if we tried to talk about all 26 teams in one episode, that'd be a pretty long episode. And I don't know if anyone wants to listen to that all in one shot. So we're breaking it up. Eastern Conference this time around. We'll get into the 13 teams there. And I'll tell you what, East, the Eastern Conference is going to be pretty competitive. And um, I know there, there's a lot of talk about the fact that this this could be the year the Western Conference kind of retakes control of things, and you can argue that that maybe three of the strongest teams in the league are on are over in the Western Conference. But I tell you what, when for me when I, I look at at the depth of quality teams in the East, I think the race for the playoffs is is going to be a strong one, and you're going to see some teams that that are left out in the cold uh, come playoff time. Now I'm going to get into all 13 teams in the Eastern Conference, and we'll start from the bottom. <laughs> we'll start from the bottom, like Drake. <laughs> And work our way up to the team that uh, that I see being the number one team in the East um, this year, and coming in at number thirteen in the Eastern Conference, I don't think as much as much of a surprise to anybody. FC Cincinnati, uh, I think they're. It's been a. It was a terrible, forgettable twenty nineteen season, and now the preseason has not fared much better. It's just been more of a mess. Uh, obviously, with the recent departure of Ron Jans uh, under messy, messy conditions. Uh, where he was, he was forced out basically after uh, some controversy regarding him having allegedly made some some racial comments, uh, racial slurs, or uh, may have said a racial slur in the locker room, and that led to an investigation. And, and apparently, the, there had there apparently allegedly had been some other instances and incidents that that painted everything in a bit of a negative light for for Jans and. 
he made the decision to to quit before he was fired. Uh, that that's how it's been portrayed, and obviously Jans is, has moved on and 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 kind of uh, tried to paint the picture that 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 he was someone who maybe was was cast in an unfair light. And I don't know if we'll ever get the real deal in terms of the truth on on all the details on that. But I mean, I've heard I've heard things from uh, on both sides on that whether or not you know. Was he treated fairly? Was he treated unfairly? What, what, was it was it a situation that could have been resolved with him staying on as, as manager? I mean, definitely the MLS Players Union didn't feel that way. They came out pretty strongly after Jans left and uh, and and made it clear that as far as they were concerned, it, it was it was good that he moved on. So, uh, you know, that's that's gone now. He's gone, and now Cincinnati has to pick up the pieces. And Yoan Damet is the is the interim manager, and he, he, he once again the interim manager. Obviously, he was the. Uh, interim manager uh, last year when he when he replaced Alan Koch and now he's in charge again uh, and he takes over a Cincinnati team that that still for me still has issues when you think when you look at their defense I know on the attacking side of things they added some good some interesting pieces some potentially good pieces uh, when you talk about Jurgen Locadia uh, and CM De Jong uh, the two players who who are are, are their most high profile acquisitions. Now they also picked up Japanese striker Yu Yakubo, and between those three, you, you'd like to think that their attack is going to be better. And obviously, I mean, it couldn't be much worse. They, their their attack was pretty abysmal last year. So, with those three pieces, and with Harris Medunian in right there, you have to say, okay, this is going to be a better Cincinnati team than it was in 2019. And and yes, I agree with that. I think it should be a better team. But does that mean it's good enough to now start climbing up? the Eastern Conference standings. And that's for me, that's the big question. And I don't see it. I don't think they've done enough. And I still have questions about their defense. I don't know if their defense is good enough. And and as far as their attack goes, they have some interesting pieces, but none of those pieces are players that you say, okay, they're going to come in and absolutely light it up. Now, Locadia, he's had success at certain points in his career. He, he More recently, he hasn't had much success. Now, when it comes to strikers coming into MLS, generally speaking, strikers tend to fare well. Like if they, if you have a if you bring in a striker with a good pedigree, chances are he's gonna he's gonna tear it up. Now, midfielders sometimes it's a little, it's a lot more hit and miss. So, uh, uh, between the two, I think Lacadia is the safer bet to be an impact player. CM De Jong as uh, the bigger risk to be a flop, uh, just based on 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 the track record of those positions in the league and. Also, when you look at where these players are in their careers and where they have been. Uh, now, if both those players pan out and if Kubo pans out, all of a sudden you're talking about an attack that can be formidable, that can put in goals. But I still don't know if that defense is good enough. I just don't see it. I think their defense is, is lacking. I think they need at least one other defender. And, you know, I definitely like to bring up that point that if 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 Cincinnati could go back in time, I have a feeling that they would not have traded for Nick Aglin. Uh, and they would have traded for Ico Parra, which they could have done. They uh, they absolutely could have made a made a stronger push for Ico Parra. There was a point in time when Ico Parra was kind of on the on the market, and obviously he ended up going to Minnesota United and winning MLS Defender of the Year and helping M- Minnesota turn into a playoff team and 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 go from a laughingstock defense to a, one of the better defenses in the league. And Ico Parra could have done that in Cincinnati. And uh, again, Cincinnati, you live, you learn. I, I covered it in the last episode as far as issues that they have with their leadership. And I'm not talking about Jans. I'm talking about upper management, particularly Jeff Birding. And 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 if you you know if you missed that, make sure you listen to the most recent episode before this one, where I get into that. I won't get into it again, but 
I think I'll, I'll just end as far as Cincinnati goes on the note that, you know, until they shake things up on the higher end, I don't know how much success they're going to have on the field in Cincinnati. Um, they will be a better team this year. They will be a more fun team to watch, which is great for the Cincinnati fans because those fans deserve it. But if you're if you're talking about playoffs and if you're wondering, is Cincinnati going to be a playoff team this year? I definitely don't see that happening. Up next is number 12, and that's Orlando City. And we've gotten used to, to having Orlando City near the bottom of the Eastern Conference uh, projections every year. Uh, they're, uh, they're a team that has yet to make the playoffs, and and they've obviously undergone a few uh, makeovers now, and and, and a few uh, different eras, and w- with all the different coaches that they've had passed through. But now they have a an, an accomplished MLS coach in there in Oscar Pareja, so you kind of want to give them a bit more of the benefit of the doubt. But when I look at their roster, I'm still not sold on them making the jump from being a pretender to being a contender. Now, obviously, with Pereja in charge, you'd like to think that he is going to kind of set things in motion so that they 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 eventually become a contender. But for year one of the Pareja project, I think they're going to struggle. And I just don't think that they have the firepower uh, that you need to really compete with the top teams in the East. Now, when you look at their defense and the, and the changes that they made, to their defense when you look at Rodrigo Schlegel and Antonio Carlos, those two as your center backs, uh, that's a that's a encouraging, a promising tandem, especially considering what they've had in the past at center back. Uh, based on everything that, that I've, I've seen and heard, it, that should be an upgrade. So their defense should be better. And obviously you have Kamal Miller at left back. You have Ruan at right back, and right there, you got a pretty decent back uh, back line. And then, of course, in goal, you have Peruvian national team goalkeeper Pedro Gallese. So right there, you have the makings of a good foundation. And, and Pareja knows that in MLS, if you're going to be successful, you have to have that good defensive foundation. So they, it, it, they have the potential for that. Now, as far as their attack goes, that's the question for me. I just don't know if they're attack is good enough. And as of right now, if they're projecting to have Dom Dwyer be their lead striker, um, he obviously has a lot to prove. He's coming off a a disappointing year. Uh, There had been rumors about him potentially being traded. I don't know how much truth there was to those rumors, but what I do know is that he's back and they need him to be a 15-goal guy if they're going to be a serious contender. And it's really up to him to show that he can be that. And until he does that, unless he does that, I think Orlando's really kind of doomed to to fall just short of the playoff picture. So that's where I think Pareja as a as a project, the Pareja project, I think is going to be a two-year project. And I think maybe next year, you, you, maybe they take that first step now, build that foundation, work in some of the younger players that they have. And then in year two, they can really make that jump to being a playoff team. And I know Orlando City fans don't want to hear that because they've been waiting for the playoffs for forever now. Uh, and then obviously you have someone like Nani who's not getting any younger and he's, I'm sure he's not thinking about rebuilding, but it, it is, that's what it is. You're, you're dealing with a rebuilding situation and I think it's going to be a long year for Orlando, but hopefully with Pareja in charge. I, I mean, I have a lot of faith in Oscar Pareja. I think he's very, a very good coach. He's shown it. He, 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 can, he can put the roots in and really establish something. And I think with Orlando City and, and, and being in Florida, I think there's that potential to really tap into the to, to the talent pool that they have down there. So I think I think there's potential there down the road. But for year one, this year, I don't see them making the playoffs. Up next, checking in at number 11, 
in our Eastern Conference preview is the Montreal Impact. And Thierry Henry is in charge. He's the new head coach there. And obviously, Henry, Henry this will be his second head coaching job after a, a failed stint at AS Monaco. Um, but obviously, he has that experience in MLS, and I've always I've always rated him as someone who I thought would eventually become a very good manager. I just think he's someone who, just with the way he he sees the game and the way he kind of devours, just wanting to learn. I, I think he's someone who's destined to to be a good manager. But again, he's coming into a position as Montreal head coach, uh, uh, taking over an impact team that that definitely is lacking for for quality uh, when compared to the other teams in, in MLS. And, and that's going to be the challenge for Henri is taking over a team that, when you compare it to some of the other teams, is just not as talented. And there is, there is some some promising young talent there. And that's where uh, I'd like to think that, that, and I'm sure that Montreal would like to think that Henri can, can work with that youth and help it develop and help it move on, uh, move up and, 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 and build something. So that again, kind of like talking about Orlando city and, and a project, I think with Thierry Henry, I, I don't think the, the impact situation is one where you can expect him to step right in and turn them, transform them into a playoff team. I don't see it happening. It's much less when they've lost Ignacio Piatti, who's moved on now and gone uh, to our, back to Argentina. So without without Piatti right there, you're losing uh, your, your most dangerous attacking player. Uh, and, and obviously they've made some additions. And, and now you have Boyan Kerkic, who, who, who showed some good, some good things toward the end there when he arrived at the second half of, of the 2019 season. Now he gets a full season under his belt. And I, I'm interested to see what he does He's obviously a, a bit of a reclamation project, but he he showed some things. I think he's got something. He still has something left in the tank there, but I just don't know. I just don't know if they have that much now. They, they we've already seen some of Montreal in the Concacaf Champions League, and and they played Deportivo Saprissa in the round of sixteen, and they actually got past them. They're on to the quarterfinals now, so um, they, there's something there, right? And which is why I have them eleventh and not last in in the East. I know that's not saying much, but. I just feel like un- unless and until they add a few more big pieces, I just don't see them jumping into the playoff picture. But if they surprise, I think they'll surprise because Henri is is finding his footing as a coach. And, and that's going to be the question. How, how does he continue to evolve as a coach? Because we know he had a bit of a rough time as, as manager of Monaco. Before that, he was an assistant with uh, Roberto Martinez with with Belgium with the Belgium national team. So he's he's learning, he's adapting. But I think it's 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 a great challenge for him to come back to MLS because he knows MLS so well from from his time playing with the New York Red Bulls. And 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 I've said it before, you know, when when Henri was here and and I covered him, obviously, you know, being here and being in New York and and covering the Red Bulls and and being around him, he he really. I mean, he really studied the league, and he, he's really someone who, who who could tell you something about every team and, and, and all the players, and I, I definitely see him being someone who dives right back into that and really learns and studies the league, and I think that, that, that voraciousness will serve him well eventually, and I think uh, as he gets his footing, and as, if he's given time, I think they could build something there. Not may, maybe not be a playoff team in year one, but build something going forward. But again, the question is: Will Joey Saputo give, be patient enough to give him two years to really try to build something? And I, I think he will. I think you know when you know what you're getting into when you hire a Thierry Henry, because you have to give him time. I mean, he is a young manager, and you have to give someone like that time. And if he gives if he gives him time, there's potential there. 
down the road year two. But this year, I think the playoffs is a bit of a tall order. I think it's good for them to, to if they can put a little run together here in Champions League. But I think it's still there's still a few pieces away from really being able to contend. Now, if come the summer, Henri brings in some 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 reinforcements and he uses his cachet and and Saputo's money to go bring in some some big upgrades in the summer, then then you can start talking about the playoffs. But for right now, with what they have right now, it's hard to see them being a playoff team. Checking in at number 10 in our Eastern Conference preview is the Chicago Fire. And uh, I got to say, I didn't expect to to move them up to number 10 uh, when I was starting to think about the Eastern Conference a, a week or so ago. But they've made some they've made some big moves here in, in recent weeks and, and with the, the recent signing of Gaston Jimenez and and obviously with Alvaro, Alvaro Medran. And with Rafael Wicke as the coach, I think I think I'm starting to see a, a group that's coming together and has some potential. Now the thing is, right? They, they, it's such a reclamation project. It's it's such a makeover. When the season ended in 2019, and at, and for a while there, we thought, okay, Velkopanovic is going to stick around. He's going to still be the coach. You started to wonder what is going on there. Why is he still the coach, considering the lack of success that they had during his tenure? Now it took them a while. To move on from Paunovic and bring in Wiki. And in that time, I really think they hurt themselves because it delayed the transition. And obviously they've made some signings, they've made some pickups that that were made with with uh with Paunovic in mind and with Paun- the you know moves that Paunovic helped kind of implement. And that's that's where you kind of wonder what's gonna happen with them and and some of those moves because this is not this isn't not really Rafael Wicky's team. I mean, he 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 came in so late in the game that um it's really asking a lot. It's number one it's asking a lot of a manager to take over a team that that has so many new pieces, right? Number one. Uh number two it's it's a lot to to take over a team that still has glaring needs and glaring glaring kind of voids in their in their in the squad. That's number two. And then number three, uh, you have a manager in Wiki who who is definitely I, I, I rate him as a manager, right? Just from from what I've seen his track record. I know people look at his U seventeen stint with the U seventeen national team and the fact that they sh- they had a poor World Cup. People think, okay, is he necessarily a good manager? I think he's a good coach, but the fact that he's had such a kind of late start to kind of jump in, try to implement a system. And then inheriting a group that's not his group, that I, it's, not a, it's not an ideal set of circumstances. Um, so from that standpoint, it's a big challenge. But having said that, some of the, when you see some of the signings that they made, uh, when you talk about their striker, Roberto Beric gives them a striker. Obviously, Nemanja Nikolic has moved on. You still have CJ Sapong there, who, who is obviously a proven MLS veteran. He gives you goals. He's a double-digit goal guy. He's pretty consistent in that regard. You put him on the field, he's going to get you 10-plus goals. But then you have those other pieces that I think are intriguing in Ignacio Aliceda, who is young, right? I mean, he's a teenager, so you wonder how how he adapts. Is he going to be that kind of uh, young talent who maybe struggles initially, like uh, someone like Ezekiel Barco, when you think about Barco, who who obviously had a rough go his first year in the league? Uh, or does he kind of hit the ground running and 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 give you that impact right away? So that that's a question there. Alvaro Medran is another one who is going to be such a big bar, big part to their midfield that you know when you look at his pedigree. I mean, we're talking about someone who you know when you, whenever you have Real Madrid on your resume, 
it, it makes you stand up and take notice, but you know, how does he adapt? And, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, Midfielders is when you look at at the history and track record of players coming into the league, strikers tend to do better. Uh, midfielders are a bit more hit and miss, so that's going to be the question. How does Midran Midran adapt? I think Jimenez adapts. I think Jimenez, when you look at his career, where he is in his career, the success that he's had recently, uh, I think Gaston Jimenez is going to be that presence in the midfield, and I think that he is really what they needed. They, I mean, obviously when Schweinsteiger leaves, Dax McCarty uh, moves on. You've traded Dax McCarty. Uh, there's a huge void in the midfield, and the, and they needed to get the Jimenez deal done. Now, they got that done. That helps. And then you have a young player like Georgi Mihalovic. You wonder how he kind of factors in as well. Uh, but for me, I think there's too many question marks to consider them a playoff team, right? I think there's too many question marks there. Uh, you know, when you look at their defense, it's really you see a lot some of the familiar faces from last year. Uh, when when right now you're looking at the center back tandem, likely of of Joanne Kapilov and Francisco Calvo, um, okay okay center back tandem. Now, I wouldn't say it's a great center back tandem, and um, and obviously you have Jonathan Borstein at left back, uh, right back. You have you have possibilities. You could have Frankowski there. Um, so they they they've got a lot of new pieces, and I think. What I see from the fire, what I see for the fire in 2020, I think they're a team that's going to struggle early. I think it's going to be a rough first half of the season for them. But I think they're a team that come the second half of the season, they'll start to put it together. I think if Wiki is the manager that that I think he is, uh, I think he will eventually get it going, and I think he'll he'll you know he'll implement his system. And and they'll start to kind of find the rhythm that they need to play to play in that system. But it's going to take time. Second half of the season, I think you're going to see a surge from them. But it, at that point, I think they'll be it'll, they'll be too far behind, and I think they'll they'll struggle there. Now, will they be a fun team to watch? That's the question. Obviously, you're new. You talk, you're talking about a new owner, uh, Mansueto. Uh, you're talking about a new logo, which you know, obviously, the jury's out on that. Not not a lot of people like the the, the rebrand. I, I wasn't a fan of the rebrand. I, I'd be the first to admit that. Uh, and you're also back in Soldier Field, so you want to try to fill Soldier Field. You need to have an entertaining team, a fun team to watch. Uh, so many new pieces. It's going to take a while to adapt. But I think come the summer, once you get into the summer and to heading toward the fall, I think this fire team will hit a stride and will head and finish. I think they'll finish 2020 strong and that'll give them momentum heading into 2021. And I know I, I, I'm, I'm finding myself sensing a trend <laughs> in the Eastern Conference. Uh, this is, I think this is at least the third team that I've said, hey, 2021, 2021 is your year. Uh, but I do believe uh, what's different, I think, than from this team to the other teams is I really think the fire will start to figure things out and start to really be better this year but maybe not till the second half of the season so hey you know what if they get it figured out earlier then then they're right there they could be a playoff team uh, they could still make some more additions uh, I think they still have some wiggle room to, to even though I believe they've now filled all their DP slots but if they get it figured out sooner then that'll definitely be a feather in the cap of of wiki because that'll show him to be a manager who can can really patch things together quickly but for me i think the more realistic expectation is to have them be a team that finishes the second half of the year strong and get and uses that momentum heading into 2021 when you'd like to think their owner their new owner with all that money 
then takes the next step and says, okay, I'm going to go get uh, a, a big, bigger name player, big some superstar players to really take it to that next level. So, uh, But you know what? There is some hope in Chicago. That's what I, one thing I would say because I, I know Fire fans uh, for, for years now, long-suffering Fire fans who are finally out from under the thumb of former owner Andrew Houtman. And I, maybe I shouldn't use that wording, but look, let's face it. Andrew Houtman was not a good owner. He was a terrible, terrible owner in the sense that he just didn't know what he was doing, right? Now, there's different kinds of owners, right? There's there's some or different kinds of management, upper management. Um, sometimes you have owners who think they know what they're doing, and then they just don't, and they just make a mess, <coughs> Cincinnati. Um, and then there's sometimes there's owners who, who they, they don't know anything. They know they don't know anything, but they don't hire the right people to, to run things for them. And I think that's been the, that's been the issue with uh with Houtman for for a, a going on a decade it or it went on for a decade they I just don't think he ever hired the right people every time you'd hire new people they it'd be a, it'd be a mess it, and it, it, for a guy who is obviously successful and 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 is a rich guy he's like he knows some things but one thing he didn't seem to get is how to f- pick the right people to run his team and now thankfully for the fire fans who have had to suffer for a decade now they finally have a new owner who Basically, er, who at least early on seems like he has a better grasp of, of 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 identifying people who actually know how to run a team, and hopefully for the fire fans, uh, that's the case, and hopefully they can they can start to see progress for the first time in a long time. And now we're moving on to the single digits. Uh, checking in at number nine, we have DC United. And I know some DC United fans are going to say, wait a minute, so you don't have us in the playoffs? Are you serious? Uh, I, I don't know how many DC fans are saying that, but uh, I, I don't see it. I see I, I see a team that, you know, we started to see toward the end of last season, uh, the regular season, uh, a team that was already struggling. Uh, when you, Struggling without Wayne Rooney, struggling with a checked out Wayne Rooney, and a checked out Luciano Acosta. So the fact that they both left now, you kind of saw it coming. You knew they were they they, they weren't going to come back, but you already got a glimpse at the end of last season of what life would be like without them, right? So once they move on, all of a sudden you're in a situation where now you need to reload. You need to go find players to fill the void uh, left by those guys back when they actually used to help you and they used to to, to be regular contributors. Now they did sign Peruvian. Uh, Oreja Flores, uh, who who I you know obviously I'm I'm biased. I'm going to say very very good signing. He could very, definitely be one of the better uh, newcomers in MLS in 2020. But you bring him in, great. You bring in Julian Gressel, who from Atlanta United, and everyone knows the the quality that he brought to Atlanta United. I really feel like he was an underrated player, underrated part of the success in Atlanta. Uh, you bring him in, that's great. Two solid, solid additions. Um, but again, they repl- let's just say they replace the two players. You lose Rooney, you lose Acosta. You bring in those two players. So you're kind of, uh, in a way, you're for me, you're kind of treading water, right? You're kind of standing pat with a team that, let's face it, relied so heavily on its defense just to kind of survive. And that's what happened last year. The team really just survived with, with their defense and credit to their defense and Ben Olsen uh, with, with the, the back line, with Bill Hamid being, for me, I thought Bill Hamid should have been goalkeeper of the year. Um, and then their defense, they, their defense played really well. But their attack was already, already had issues. Their, their attack already had a lot of question marks. And now you bring in a Gressel, you bring in a Flores, 
And you'd like to think, okay, between those two and Yamil Assad uh, having come come in last year, th- there's something there. There's some quali- there's some quality there. Um, but I feel like it's lacking. I feel like it's lacking. And then you lose Paul Ariola, which was the real dagger. That was the real dagger because I tell you what, before Ariola's injury, and he suffered a torn ACL for those of you who missed it, he's out for the year pretty much. I mean, it, it's a nine-month turnaround. I mean, you know, November. He could be back in November for what, MLS Cup? I mean, he's 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 pretty much done for the year, which is devastating. Um for a player who's really a class act and a very good player. And obviously at a point in his career where 2020 was shaping up to be a huge year for him, uh, both for club and country, because he he has been a part of Greg Berhalter's plans with the national team and he had a role to play, but now he's out for the year. And that's a huge loss for DC United, a team that, you know, even with him, they were looking at being kind of a fringe playoff team. Like they, 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 you know, they're not competing with the the top top teams in the East. They can cause problems for the top teams in the East, but they're not going to beat it. They weren't even without our with Ariola. Without Ariola, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, but there's potential for some help on the way, and there's reports uh, that. Federico Higuain could uh, join the team as a coach slash player. Um, he's obviously also recovering from 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 knee surgery, so he's not even it's not even as if he can play yet. So he's someone who could factor in. Now, he hasn't signed formally yet, but my understanding is that it's it's pretty pretty safe bet that he will join the team. And I think he still has something to offer. So is he going to be the guy that makes them a playoff team? I wouldn't say that, but. He will help their attack. He will help provide some creativity. And I, and I think it is funny that he joins uh, the D.C. United team that he helped beat in the playoffs we, uh, just two years ago when, uh, you know, when D.C. was killing it when Wayne Rooney first arrived. And, and then they then they ran into that buzzsaw with the Columbus crew in the playoffs. So um, Iguain will help if, if you know, once he gets back and, and hopefully he hasn't lost too much. I mean, he was never a, like the fastest guy to begin with, but hopefully mobility-wise he can still give you something because the creativity is there. Just the, the genius is there. Um, he still has something for me in the tank, but the question is how does he recover from the knee injury? Um, but when you look at their team, their defense should keep them in, in games, right? I mean, as long as you have that back line and you have Hamid, uh, you shouldn't get run out of town too often. Um, but I don't know. I just don't know if their attack has it there. I don't know if their attack has enough when you look at the teams that are probably going to be the playoff teams in the Eastern conference. And that's where I think they fall behind the teams that I'm going to put in the top seven in the East, because I think those teams can all point to attacks that will generate goals on a consistent basis. So, uh, it's, it's looking like another yo-yo downturn for, for DC United. And we've seen that over the years where one year be great. One year they're terrible. One year they're good. One year they're bad. Like it's, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, and again, it it remains to be seen what's going to happen this, this summer. And are they going to add more reinforcements? And there's always talk. There's always rumors. I mean, you hear the most random names, a link to DC United, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Luka Modric or Mesut Ozil. And uh, it'd be great if they can add another, like, top-notch big name like Wayne Rooney. I mean, obviously, Rooney set the bar really high uh, just with his cachet, the name cachet that he brought to the table. I don't know if there's any of those types of players coming this summer. But, again, if they can do that, if they can go get an A-list type uh, player, 
for their attack, then then you can start talking about the playoffs. But with the team they have right now as constituted, I think they're just gonna, they're going to fall just short. Even though they have a defense that is a playoff caliber defense, I just don't think their attack is good enough to get them into the top seven of the East, considering how other teams in the East have improved. Now, if some DC United fans are surprised that I don't have them making the playoffs, I have a feeling there'll be a few more New York Red Bulls fans who will be surprised to see me projecting them out of the playoff race. Uh, and sad to say, I mean, I you know what? I think they're a team that could absolutely prove me wrong and be there in, in the end and, and make the playoffs. Um, they have some of the elements that, that you like to have. Um, obviously, you have the, the the components for a good defense. Uh, you have a goalkeeper in in Ryan Mira, who for me, I think is going to fill in admirably, replacing Luis Robles. But I don't know about their attack. And that's the big question mark for me. Um, obviously, Bradley Wright Phillips has moved on. Last year was an injury plague year for him, so he wasn't really around, and they had the kind of striker by committee, uh, and they produced goals with that, with between Brian White and Tom Barlow. They, the goals, they found goals. They found some goals, but I don't feel like they did enough to really revamp their attack or, or their team in general, really. I mean, when you look at, at, at the, the lack of activity uh, in, the, in the transfer market, um, and then you lose a guy like Kamar Lawrence, who they sold. They sold Kamar Lawrence. Michael Murillo, you kind of expected. He His days were numbered long ago. He was going to be gone after 2019. The Kamar Lawrence one, now that one was a, a, a head-scratcher for sure just because um, he was such a big part of, of the team's success. And, and obviously he wasn't happy. He wanted a new deal. Uh, so he kind of forced his way out of town, and you can argue that okay, that's you know what could the team do? They you know once you have an uh, unhappy player, you kind of have to make a move. You kind of get him have to get him out of town. Um, but that's people. People are going to soon realize just what he meant to their defense and just how how much of a cheat code it is to have a guy who can just shut down an entire side of the field, and that's really what he did. Kamar Lawrence was without question for my money, not even close, the best defensive left back in MLS. And you could argue the best defensive fullback in MLS by a mile. For me, he was. Uh, and now you lose him. Uh, he's moved on to Anderlecht now. And, and, and they did draft the rookie, a promising rookie in Patrick Seagrist to, to potentially step in and start. But they're going to feel that loss of Kamar Lawrence. And um, obviously, you still have Aaron Long and Tim Parker in your center back spots. And Tim Parker's coming off a disappointing year, no doubt about it, no question about it. Even Aaron Long, you could argue, for his MLS play, it was a disappointing year, and, and you wonder, okay, how much did the distractions of the transfer speculation and and the falling through of potential moves for him, how much did that impact him? He's He has said it himself that it was a distraction. Uh, so you wonder, how does he go into this year? Is he going to go in focused now, or is it going to continue to be an issue for him? Now, he's got a lot going on in 2020, Aaron Long does. the you know He's a starter for the U.S. national team when he's healthy. Uh, and there's obviously huge games this year between the Nations League the knockout rounds in the World Cup qualifying in the second half of 2020. So if you're Aaron Long, you can't afford to sit around and pout. You've got to play. You've got to play. And when he's on his game, he is without question for me the best center back in the league. I mean, I really, it's not, for me, it's not close. And there are some good center backs in the league. Ike Opara, Walker Zimmerman, Eddie Segura. Um, there's some good center backs in MLS. But for me, Aaron Long is that guy, he's the center back. I mean, he would be in the Premier League if the Red, right now if the Red Bulls were willing to sell him, but they're not. Um, 
because they got to keep somebody, right, in the defense. Um, but their defense, I think, will be be good again. Um, and they defend as a team, so they're always in it. Their system kind of helps cover some gaps for them. It's the attack. Do, do the Red Bulls have enough in their attack? Um, and I think it's going to be a huge year for Kaku. Uh, Kaku's a player who he has, he's, he has shown it. He has shown that he can be a difference maker. He has shown that he can take over games. He's just not consistent. He hasn't been consistent. So the question is, can he this year be consistent and be a force every single week and be a 20 assist guy, uh, MVP candidate, because that's what they need. They need Kaku to be an MVP caliber type player. They need him to be Maxi Morales because he hasn't been, not consistently. And if he's not, they just don't have enough. They just don't have enough in attack. Danny Royer's a good player. He, he produces. Josh Sims showed some quality. He's back. Um, but Kaku is the key. He's the key to the whole thing because, uh, I mean, as much as Jorgensen could, could potentially give them an upgrade at striker if he is ready to take that next step, that's something else to watch for. But for me, it's Kaku. Kaku's got to start playing every single week as that best guy on the field type player. Because he can do it. You've seen it. We've seen Kaku play at an extremely high level, but he's inconsistent. So that's going to be a, a key for them. Uh, and I just don't know if that's enough. I think they need, they need the Red Bulls need to spend money. And when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm afraid to say it, Red Bulls fans, your team does not want to spend big money. Uh, the days of splashing the cash on the Thierry Henry's and Kim, Tim K. Hills and Rafa Marquez. Sorry to bring Rafa Marquez up. But the days of spending that kind of money, they're gone. And, uh, you know, they're not. that's not going to change. So, uh, um, I mean, I think it's interesting that this weekend we saw Giuseppe Rossi sign with Real Salt Lake. And, and, he, and obviously we don't know what he has left in the tank, right? Because it's easy. he hasn't played in a while. But he wanted to play in New York. He wanted to play for the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls passed on him because he didn't fit their profile of the types of players that they bring in. He's in, he's on the older side and he's kind of you know on the downward trajectory of his career. Uh, I'm sure he was asking for a fair about a, a fair amount of money and and they didn't and they passed on him. So uh, if you think about it now, if, if Rossi turns around and kills it for, and crushes it for Real Salt Lake, if you're the Red Bulls, you're going to start looking at that and say, wait a minute, why didn't we just sign the kid from our area? I mean. Say what you want about Rossi and all the him not playing for the United States and all this and that. He is a he's an American kid. He's a Jersey boy through and through. Uh, it's crazy because I feel so old now that he is like this grizzled veteran. And I, I remember him as a little kid. I covered his uh, his father was a high school coach in New Jersey. And uh, my first job as a soccer writer was covering Giuseppe Rossi's father's team, Clifton High School, one of the best programs in the country, even to this day. Um and Rossi was a phenomenal coach. He was a phenomenal soccer brain, uh, Fernando Rossi, uh, rest in peace, uh, Giuseppe's father. And I remember Giuseppe being his kid, you know, little kid. I remember rubbing his head like, oh, look at this little one. And he was a, he was already a prodigy. Like you could see he had something special. But I'm off on a tangent. Point is Red Bulls should have probably signed him, but they didn't because they're not spending money. And now we're going to see what happens with a team that Chris Armas has to, like this team, for me, I think this team is going to fail. And fail in the sense that I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And Chris Armas is going to catch the heat for that. It's probably going to cost him his job. But you wonder how fair it is considering the lack of, of, of quality acquisitions that they've had in recent years. So um, this is not the team just Jesse Armas had. This is the, Jesse Armas. <laughs> this is not the team Jesse Marsh had when he left, right? I mean, there's no Tyler Adams here. There's no Bradley Wright Phillips in his prime here. 
Luis Robles is gone. So Chris Armas is in a whole different position now than Je- Jesse Marsh was when he was the coach. So I feel for Chris Armas because uh, it, it's an unenviable position for him. But now having said that, if he gets them to play like a playoff team, despite all that, despite the lack of signings, despite the lack of spending, then you're starting to say, hey, this hey, maybe Chris Armas is a good coach after all. And that, that, so that's from that standpoint, it's definitely sink or swim for Armas. But I think they're going to fall just short. And the reason is the rest of the Eastern Conference has gotten better. And some of the teams in the East have gotten, in my mind, considerably better. So I think you're going to see some teams leapfrog them. And I think they're going to fall just short. I have them at number eight. And seven teams make the playoffs, so they're right there falling just short. But I could absolutely see them jumping into the top five. Are they a top? Will they be a top four team? No, I do, do not see the Red Bulls being a top four team. Could I see them at five, six, seven? I could see them squeezing in, no question about it, especially if someone like Jorgensen uh, kind of breaks through and, 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 and turns into a factor. And especially if Kaku has an MVP type season, which he has the talent to do. So we'll see. But I think they fall just short. On to the seven teams in the Eastern Conference that I see making the playoffs. And uh, I'm sure some people are going to be surprised by some of the teams or at least one of the teams that that I have making the playoffs. But uh, you know what? Who knows for sure, but uh, I'm going to stand by this seven teams. And we'll start at number seven, the Philadelphia Union. And obviously, they're, they're a team. They were one of the big surprises uh, of last year and and Jim Curtin I thought he did an outstanding job I think he deserves some consideration for for coach of the year with the type of year that he had uh, I mean I think he should have at least been nominated for coach of the year um they really put things together there and and, and I have to give Ernst Tanner some credit because obviously some of the signings that they that they've made really really you know I thought panned out when you think about someone like Jamiro Montero obviously Casper Shabilko um a guy who I think should have qualified as newcomer of the year, although apparently he didn't qualify because they signed him the previous year, even though he didn't play. Whatever the case, the guy was a beast for them at, at striker. So between Montero, Shabilko, Sergio Santos, you know they had some they had some nice new additions, and, and they really put, uh, Kurt, give Jim Curtin a lot of credit. He really put put together a squad that was really right up there and really punched above their weight all year. And the question is, can they do it again? Can they overachieve again? And that and that's easier said than done, you know. I mean, when you look at what some of the t- other teams are doing to improve and upgrade, um, it gets to be a question of you know what what will the union do to respond? And and obviously, you know, they let Harris Medunian uh, move on, and he obviously was a big piece to their midfield. But they've moved on from him. He's in Cincinnati now, um, and right now you're looking at a projection of of. Uh, Matej Orvek, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but uh, projecting as at least our projection as the starting defensive midfielder for them. Um, you still have a midfield with Bedoya, Montero, uh, and then, of course, the kid, Brendan Aronson, who, you know, I think for year two, I think this year he's gonna it's going to be that next step for him. Um, and obviously he's coming off of his first U.S. national team camp, and, uh, you know, he showed some good things in that camp. So he's one to watch for sure. Um I think the Union are a playoff team, right? I think they are. And uh, it's interesting when you look at their back line. Uh, Andre Blake and goal, for me, I mean, I think he's the best. You can argue he's the best goalkeeper in MLS, right? 
Um, so that's right off the bat, that helps. But I think their back line, the fact that they traded Austin Trusty and they're rolling with the Jack Elliott, Mark McKenzie center back tandem, uh, that's a pretty solid tandem, I'd say. Um, and then you have Kai Wagner, who, who for the, as far as left backs go, I mean, he's one, he proved to be one of the best left backs. And you could argue he was the best left back in MLS last year. I think he's definitely in the top three. Um, I think he's he's a big he's been a big addition for them. Uh, so I think their defense will be good. I mean, obviously, right back you have Ray Gaddis, the old reliable. Uh, you know, you, some people would definitely argue that he's kind of the weak link there, and and maybe they, it's time for them to make a move there and and, and consider an upgrade at that position. But um, what holds them back? What's the what's missing from this team that doesn't let me put them higher than seven? That's the question, right? I think their defense is good, but not great. That's that's what I would say. I think their defense is good, but not great. And Jim Curtin's a good coach, and he's really uh, put together a system there that I think showed well last year. Um, and they were definitely a more of a attack minded team. Like when you know in years past, you didn't know what you were getting with the Union, but I think the Union were a fun team to watch last year. And considering how how little they spend compared to other teams in the league. Uh, I think bang for your buck uh, entertainment value. I think the union, one of the best values in MLS in terms of the type of uh, attractive soccer that they could play. Uh, obviously, when you have a guy like El Cino who comes off the bench and just tears everyone apart, uh, you know, let's not forget about him. He's obviously a, a big, a big part of what they do as well. But I don't know. I, I something. There's just something. They, I think they have a low ceiling, right? I think. I think Jim Curtin as a coach is going to get them to be a good team again. I think they're going to be a playoff team, but I just don't like where, you know, they're not a team. You're going to, you're not going to talk about MLS cup with them. They're not a team. I don't think they, they're, you're going to see them in the Eastern conference final. No, but I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to make things difficult for the other teams. And I think you could argue they're the best team in this, in their, uh, amongst their rivals, quote unquote rivals. When you talk about the Red Bulls, you talk about DC United. I think they finish ahead of both those teams. And when you consider the the, the money that they spend, that's a victory in itself. And, and obviously, everyone in America, when it comes to American sports, it's all about winning the title. It's all about winning the championship. Nothing else matters. None of this settling for being happy with being a mid-table club, which is obviously a thing uh, in Europe. You know, when you're you, when you you're a, a fan of a of a smaller club in Europe, uh, you kind of enjoy the, the the smaller victories. You enjoy the victory of staying up you enjoy the victory of breaking the top 10 uh those type of victories are what you know i think in american sports that's just not you know i I guess you could argue okay well making the playoffs is that kind of moral victory um and i think for the union i think that is their that that will be their their goal in 28 in, in 2020 is to be a playoff team again and I know people might think, well, that's really kind of a step back considering what they did last year. But again, it's you have to remember that other teams are also trying to get better. Also, other teams are spending big. And the union aren't spending. The union, that's not that's not what they do. They don't go and spend a huge amount of money. What they do is they, you know, they they they're obviously tapping into their their into their academy. They're tapping into the young players and developing young players. When you look at the McKenzies and the Aronsons, uh, and now you have some more players coming up the pipeline. DeVries, Fontana. Um, so they have their they have their formula, right? 
And with that formula comes different kinds of expectations. And I know maybe some union fans won't want to hear that. Some union fans are going to say, well, listen, we want the title. We want an MLS Cup. Forget all this other nonsense. But you know what? You're talking about a team who went how many years not even making the playoffs, right? Now they're a team that you can say pretty safely they should be in the playoffs. And I think the union should be in the playoffs, even though I have them pegging, checking in here at number seven which is just barely making the playoffs, uh, I think it's, they're one of, for me, one of the safer bets uh, to make the playoffs. And I have some teams ahead of them who could just as easily not make the playoffs, but who, I, who I'm kind of betting on, on surprises. I'm betting on some teams that I think are going to make jumps. But the Union, I think they're safe. They're a safe bet. I think they'll make the playoffs. I think Jim Curtin has really kind of found his footing as a coach. And I like the pieces that they've added recently in recent years. And I think those, you know, when you talk about Monteros, Wagners, Chibilcos, I think those players are all going to continue to, to, to improve as they settle into MLS. I don't think those are flash in a pan players. I think those are players who are going to continue to be among the better players in MLS. So I think that for that standpoint, I like the union to be a playoff team and potentially a top five team again. At number six, uh, a team that I'm sure some people will be surprised to see this high, but a team that I really believe uh, has the ability to, to, to be that kind of exception to the rule of expansion teams, Inter-Miami CF, Club de Football, Inter-Miami, the Beckham team, the Beckham, Beckham and the Beckhamettes, uh, I see them as a playoff team. And here's why, folks. Uh, when you look at the pieces that they've added, and again, they're a team that only a month ago or however long ago looked like they were still a bit of a patchwork bunch. Um, you know, it took them a while to hire a coach. You're wondering what was going to happen on the coaching front. I feel like they've really done a good job in the past month of putting pieces together. You go hire Diego Alonso, a proven winner. Uh, obviously, he hasn't coached in MLS before, but, you know, we've seen by now that, you know, a, a foreign, a good foreign coach can succeed with the right support. And I think he has that in Miami. So number one, boom, you got a good coach. Number two, you go get a player like Rodolfo Pizarro, who is an absolute winner. I mean, he's multiple time Liga Mekis champion, multiple time CONCACAF Champions League winner. Uh, the guy is a player. He's a baller. And in MLS, you need attacking stars if you're going to compete. You, can, you need that, that guy who can take over a game. That guy who can make teammates better. And he is that type of player. So from that standpoint, that's why I think that was the difference. Because if they don't get a Pizarro, if they if they don't uh, if they don't sign Pizarro, then I, I don't have them being I don't have them being a playoff team. Plain and simple. And that that's the difference. And the other reason I have them as a playoff team is that they still have a designated player slot available. And they've already put together, when you look at their team, you go get a will trap proven mls commodity player uh you know he's coming off of a down year there's no there's no way to get around that he, he's coming off of a down year by his standards but he's still a very good player and i think a change of scenery could actually do him a world of good it could because you know he's you can always say that sometimes players need to need, need a change of scenery uh and maybe him playing for Caleb Porter again after after so many years maybe it wasn't going to be a great fit or it was just time for a change um and i think he still brings a lot to the table so i think that was a great pickup for them you go get a lee win Lee Wen, I mean, the guy, you know, he has shown it over the years that he get, he is, he's a good player, good MLS player. 
Um, if he sticks around, I know there were some rumors about him potentially going to Vietnam or, 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 you know, with Pizarro's arrival, maybe there's no room for him. If he leaves, then that's obviously unfortunate. But, you know, if he sticks around, I likely win. I think he can help you. Um, and then some of the other MLS veterans that they brought in, Luis Robles, right? When you talk about the locker room factor, when you, when you, when you build an expansion team, when you can get leaders, locker room leaders, uh, that's so huge. And Luis Robles is an absolute first class locker room guy. And obviously we know he's a good goalkeeper and he's still at, you know, a very high level. He could still say he's still one of the better goalkeepers in MLS, um, but he's a locker room leader. And now he's been named captain. He's been named captain for a reason because he gives you that kind of leadership. Uh, you have someone like Roman Torres, who is also another good leader, uh, someone who who kind of helps bring a good personality to the locker room. Um, you you wonder what is he ha- what does he have left because there's some questions there. I mean, you know, he's obviously lost a step, um, but he still gives you something. I think I think he still has something to offer. Uh, and then, you know, someone like Ben Sweat. I mean, I think someone who's shown that, that he is a, a, a an above-average left-back in MLS. So you plug him into the starting lineup. Uh, and then you get a, a center-back like Nico Figal, who could be there, Leandro Gonzalez-Pires. And I, I know we've seen that comparison. Gonzalez-Pires was such a huge part of, of, of the success in Atlanta United. He's moved on now. He's gone to Club Tijuana. Um but Figal could be that that guy. He could be that 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 young anchor of the of the central uh, central defense. And uh, so I just like the pieces that they've put together. Right? They've already put together a pretty promising squad. They they've also added some young players on loan uh, who could be difference makers. So I just like the formula there. And I know there's a lot of talk, a lot of hand wringing about. Oh well, where's the big names? Where's the European superstars? The Messi's? I mean, all right, not Messi, but you know, Edison Cavani, Luka Modric. Uh, Modric was mentioned, was linked with everybody. I feel like, or da- David Silva. There's another name that 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 was heavily linked with with Inter Miami. Uh, and David Beckham came out this week and, and, and made it clear that, you know, they, they're they're willing to wait till the summer. And in the summer, there's usually a lot more options. There's a lot more opportunities. And I would say that right now with the team they already have by adding Pizarro um, and obviously Julian Carranza with the broken foot uh, is a big blow for them because I think he's he's a big part of what they're trying to do. He's going to play striker for them. Uh, and I think he could be a definitely uh, be a big impact player for them. Um. But I think they've got enough already to to start off pretty well, right? I think they can start off pretty well. And then you go add that DP in the summer. Maybe you get yourself a Cavani or that type of striker, that type of difference maker, you know, superstar, big name guy. If they if they do that, then all of a sudden you understand why I can see them making the playoffs because I think they already with the team they have now on record the 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 roster they currently have at present i think is good enough is good enough to be a contender is good enough to be a top seven team in the east they are i think so and then you take that dp that just puts them over the top now if they for some for if for whatever reason they don't sign a dp in the summer then you can say oh i don't know maybe you know i don't know if they're necessarily a playoff team especially if the red bulls figure things out or if dc united figures things out but let's be honest. Do, does anyone really think that David Beckham is not going to fill that DP slot this summer? It will be filled, folks. They will spend the money. They're going to be aggressive this summer, and I think they're going to they're going to make some moves. So for and because I believe that wholeheartedly, 
That's why I have full confidence in putting Inter-Miami in as a playoff team. Now, are they going to be uh, a title contender in year one? I think that's a bit of a, that's a step too far. I don't think that's going to happen. But again, to be fair, when you look at recent years, Atlanta United didn't do it in their first year. They were a good team, fun team to watch, exciting. Um, they didn't win the whole thing. LEFC didn't win the whole thing. But but I think Atlanta and LEFC uh, set a course that I think we could see Miami follow in that they're entertaining. They win enough games to be a playoff team and potentially take it to another level in the summer if they add a big star, uh, which could happen. They could absolutely do that. So that's why I have them as a playoff team. I know some folks will disagree. Some folks definitely think that I'm overestimating, but I see it. I see them in my crystal ball. I see Miami as a playoff team. Up next at number five in the Eastern Conference, we have the New England Revolution. And Bruce Arena obviously took over last year and helped transform this New England team into a actual an actual contender. And most people looking at the beginning of 2019 would not have imagined anyone helping turn that New England team around. But lo and behold, the Revs, they called on Bruce Arena. He stepped in there, made the right moves, started to change things around in his dual role as head coach and, and sporting director. Uh, and now we have a New England team that's it, that is a good team and is a playoff team and is, is you know has the firepower to really push in to try to be a top three, top four team in the East. And um, you know when you look at their what they've done this off season uh, to go go add a player like Alexander Butner at left back, uh, Adam Buxa, the striker. Uh, to go along with the big additions last year of uh, Car- Carlos Gill, obviously one of the best newcomers last year, and also Gustavo Bo, who was uh, a huge pickup for them, uh, came in, double-digit goal scorer right off the bat. Um, so suddenly, you know, you, you have some pieces here uh, for a good team. And, and that's the thing with New England, you know, when you think about title contenders. I mean, are they a title contender? I don't I don't think that's realistic, um, but they're a team that's right. They're, they're a good team. They're a very good team. Um, I think they're a team that they shouldn't be a team that's edging into the playoffs. I think they are a team that will absolutely solidly be a top five team. Uh, and if some of these new pieces pan out, I think they could then start talking about trying to crack into, you know, top three, top four in the East. Right now I have them in at fifth. They could easily be a top four team. I think the top three is going to be pretty tough to crack, uh, barring some injuries and, and some real issues. I think the top three is pretty set. Um, definitely the top two is pretty set. Um, but New England, if you want to talk about a potentially fourth team, maybe if things go perfectly a third, yes, I think New England could be one of the top three, top four teams in the East. I have them in at number five right now. Um, and the questions for me, if I have a question about New England, I mean, it, it is, again, their defense. Uh, I think their attack's going to be fun to watch. I think their attack's going to score goals. Um, Christian Pania, you know, by all accounts, this preseason's really been tearing it up. He's someone who could be a big factor um, and have a bounce back year, uh, Christian Pania. Um, obviously, Carlos Gill set the bar pretty high for himself after that impressive first year that he had. Um so I think they're going to score goals, but the attack, the defense is the question, right? You know, you have Antonio De La Mea, Andrew Farrell, um, and then they have, a, they have this rookie, uh, rookie pick, and everyone talks about the draft and, uh, the you know, is there still talent in the draft? But I'll tell you what, folks, um, New England might have found themselves a player 
in uh, Henry Kessler, the the, the rookie center back, um, who has been really impressive in preseason. And you know, I don't I don't know if he's necessarily going to start just yet, but I think he's someone who's shown enough that maybe he could start. Maybe you put maybe you can put Andrew Farrell back out at right back, um, or maybe he just goes and starts over at Adela Maya. Um, yeah, no, he's 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 had a by all accounts, from my understanding, Henry Kessler has really crushed it in in preseason. So. Um, I think they have the makings of a good defense. Not a great defense. I think they have a good defense. Um, but I do think they have the makings of a very good attack. And you put that together, and you have a top five team. And I think that's what they are. MLS Cup's probably a step too far for them. Uh, getting to the conference final, would I think, would be a huge accomplishment for this team. I think they're more of a you know conference semifinals team. But yeah, that's where I have them. But again, Bruce Serena, he's the difference because um, you never know with him as much as Jermaine Jones might disagree and think that, you know, he's a terrible coach, worst coach he's ever had. Bruce Serena is a good coach. Bruce Serena is a winner. He's won an MLS multiple times, and um, I don't think he'll be adding an MLS Cup to his trophy case this season. But I think New England's going to be a good team, fun team to watch, and uh, I think they'll take another step forward under Arena. <laughs> And at number four in the Eastern Conference, I have the Columbus Crew. And I know some people might be a little surprised by that because of uh, the terrible season that the crew had last year. I really think that they are a prime candidate for a bounce back season for for a variety of reasons. Uh, I think first and foremost, uh, the additions that they've made. And when you talk about teams that have that have made some some key pickups this offseason, I think when you look at the crew, with the, the two in the midfield particularly, Darlington Nagby, huge pickup for them. Huge pickup. Nagby's won MLS Cups with two different teams, and now he rejoins Caleb Porter, who obviously he he worked with for for much of the the early part of his career, uh, and obviously in college. And he's just, I mean, he is a difference maker because it's having Nagby is like having two players because he he just does the work of two players in the midfield and his ability to keep the ball and. It's just so invaluable, and his presence in the middle is going to be huge, especially when you consider the addition of Lucas Zelarayan, uh, and he gives them that kind of dynamic presence in the middle that they've been lacking for a while now, and I know, no disrespect to Federico Higuain, uh, doing my Jermaine Jones impression, with all due respect to Federico Higuain, um, he had he had lost a step, right? Now he he still was creative. He still he could unlock a defense. He could hit a free kick. He could hit a shot. But the the motor that the the combination of all that plus the pace uh, makes Zelarayan a real difference maker. A real a guy who could absolutely come in and be a newcomer of the year contender. Uh, and him having a Nagby behind him. And not to mention Arthur, because I mean it's easy to forget Arthur. Arthur is a very good player, as well. Uh, but having Nagby behind you for cover will just allow Zalatarayan to just be just just a real factor all over the field in the attack in that middle part of the field. So, I think right off the bat, their midfield is so much better than it was. That's number one. Number two, you get Milton Valenzuela back, and it's easy to forget that before he he got hurt and missed all of last season, he was he was going into the year as one of the most promising, one of the best left backs in MLS for my money. One of, absolutely one of definitely one of the best attacking left backs. So obviously you want to see how he how he adapts to to the injury, how he how he bounces back, and how how long it takes him to recover fully. 
to to back to be back to what he was. Um, but I think his return is huge as well. So I think all of a sudden you're talking about that the boost in the midfield, Valenzuela at left back, and then now your attack is looking miles better. And Jassy Zardes, who who still even with the team struggles last year, still put up the goals. Now with that midfield working behind him, I think Jossie Zardes could be a twenty goal uh, twenty goal scorer in twenty twenty. And as much as I know he catches a lot of flack, I know a lot of people are not fans, especially U.S. national team fans are not huge fans of Jesse's artists. The guy gets it done. He scores the goals. And I think he's going to be a huge, huge uh, factor this year. If you want to talk about fantasy MLS sleepers, Jesse's artist, I think, is a 20 is definitely a candidate for 20 goals this year. Um, between that midfield and then we haven't even mentioned Pedro Santos, who I mean has been good for for a while now for them. Then you also have Luis Diaz on the other wing, so their attack is going to be something else. Their attack is going to be fun to watch, much much more fun to watch than it was last year. Um, now the, again, their defense. If there's a question mark for me, it's their defense. Obviously, um, they did add Vito Worm. I want to say Wormgore. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but adding Vito Wormgore, if he is as good as advertised, putting him next to Jonathan Menza, you're looking at a pretty solid defense there because um, you don't need their defense to be dominant. You just need a good defense to go with the great attack and you'll have success with this particular group. So I think Caleb Porter is is going to get back to his winning ways. And I think this crew team is, could they be a sleeper? Could they be a team that breaks through and, and, and surprises people and, and, and is a top two team in, a, in in the Eastern Conference? Maybe, maybe, maybe. If uh, if Zelarayan is a Pozuelo-like factor, which he could be, if he if he has that kind of impact, if Nagby has the impact you expect him to have, uh, that's why I'm so bullish on this crew team. That's why I have them finishing fourth and could definitely easily having them I could easily have them finishing as high as second or third. Actually, probably third. I think third is their is their ceiling. I think the top two for me, barring some craziness, I think it's going to be hard for me to see anyone in the top two that's not the two teams that I have there. And I think you can figure out who they are by now. Um, but the crew, I think they're going to be a good team, fun team to watch. Uh, and they could definitely surprise some people this year. And now we're on to the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, and this is the VIP section of the Eastern Conference. These are the three. These are the three teams that I think in the East have a realistic opportunity to win an MLS Cup this year. And uh, obviously, the West has Seattle and LAFC as kind of the prohibitive favorites to lift the trophy. But in the East, you have three teams who I think could each uh, spoil that party and win a title this year. And we'll start with the number three team. Toronto FC. Now, obviously, Toronto made it to the MLS Cup final last year. Uh, a bit of a surprising run on their part. They did it without Josie Altidore. Uh, Alejandro Pozuelo uh, made the difference there in the playoffs for them. And, and they just, as a veteran bunch, really just put it together down the stretch uh, after what had been a bit of a mixed regular season. But they really turned it on. And Pozuelo just, I mean, he played at, a, at, a, at an extremely high level for them. And now you want to see what happens heading into the new year uh, with some of the ma- some of the changes that they've made to their team, uh, some of the upgrades. They, they've went, gone and signed Pablo Piatti, uh, who now he's apparently already injured uh, to start the year. But he's uh, I think he has the potential to be a real difference maker in the attack, uh, giving them another high level wing option. And uh, it, it is you're still kind of interested to see 
how this TFC team looks when everyone's healthy, when when they have Pozuelo and Alt- Josie Altador together with a healthy Piatti, you're talking about a dangerous, dangerous attack there. And that's not even including a guy like Jonathan Osorio, who's kind of one of the more underrated players in MLS. So for me, that TFC team, that TFC attack is going to be a handful for everybody. Now, of course, there's some some question marks there because Josie Altador, as we know, has always had an issue staying healthy. And, that, and that's been kind of the big knock when he's hurt, if anything, Toronto showed last year last year that they can win without Altador. That if Altador is hurt, they can win without him. Now, having said that, they're a, they're for me they're a much better team with him, obviously. Um, so if he can stay healthy, then they can absolutely absolutely push NYCFC and Atlanta for that top spot in the regular season. And obviously, you want to try to get that home field advantage. Not that TFC needed it. TFC went and they won in New York. They won in Atlanta. They couldn't win in Seattle, but still, they showed that they can win on the road. Uh, but obviously, going into this year, you have Michael Bradley set to miss, you know, I believe it was four months uh, with with his injury situation. And now you have Pablo Piatti starting the year injured. Um, if there's a plus for TFC is the fact that they're not competing in CONCACAF Champions League. So they don't have that to worry about going into this year. So um, they can focus on the re- on starting the regular season Um and and when you look at Toronto, they're a solid team, top to bottom. Quentin Westberg really emerged in goal for them, took over for Alex Bono, made the job his own in goal, and he's been really good for them. Uh, in the in in defensively, Chris Mavinga and Omar Gonzalez is your center back tandem, and and Gonzalez is obviously adapted to his return to MLS. Uh, we don't always see center backs do so well in their second go round in MLS, but. You know, give Omar Gonzalez some credit. He's done well. Uh, and then Mavinga, after a rough go early in 2019, uh, has, you know, he showed better toward the end of the season and definitely in the playoffs. Uh, he definitely stepped it up. So I, I think their defense should be solid. Obviously, you still have Justin Morrow, who's who just keeps trudging along, is one of the best left backs in the league. Um, so their defense is good. Their goalkeeper is good. Their attack can be a next-level attack. Their attack can be a one of the better ones in the league attack and from that standpoint because of that attack they are right there in that conversation they're right there uh with nycfc they're right there with atlanta now they need michael bradley back right i know a lot of people are like oh you know all the bradley haters out there oh he's washed up he's old he's this he's that the guy still plays at a high level particularly in mls um now last year wasn't before the playoffs last year was you know he i think maybe we're at a point now where bradley knows when he needs to turn it on Bradley knows when he needs to take it to another level. And not to say he cruises through the regular season, but it wasn't the most dominant regular season on Michael Bradley's part. Now, obviously, he played injured toward the, the end and, and he ended up having to have surgery. So you wonder how he's going to be when he comes back. And who knows, maybe with the surgery and maybe with the time off, he'll come in refreshed and get back to his dominant ways. Um, but he, for me, he's still one of the better players in the league. And once they get him back... All of a sudden, you're looking at a Osorio, Delgado, Bradley, Pozuelo, Piatti, um, and Josie Altador. That front is as good as any in the league, in my opinion. So I think from that standpoint, TFC should be a top three team. Now, do they have depth? That's a question for me. I don't know if they have the depth to really withstand too much in the way of injuries in terms of the attack specifically so um i like tfc i like them as a top three team i i don't i think they still finish behind the top two teams uh that i have in in my predictions uh but could they make another surprise run to a final absolutely 
Absolutely. And I think they should be better in 2020 than they were last year. And now we're down to the top two teams in the Eastern Conference coming in at number two. We have New York City FC. And yes, they were the number one team in the East last year in the regular season uh, before they stumbled in the playoffs in their first match, losing to Toronto FC. Uh, Dominic Torrent has moved on and now they have a new coach in Ronnie Dyla. And that's the big question mark on this team. They bring back almost the entire team that that won the East last year in the regular season. I think Ben Sweat's kind of the one high-profile name that 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 has moved on. He's 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 over uh, in Miami now. Um, but now you have Ronnie Dyla, and how will the difference between Dyla and Torrent play out on this team? And I, I tell you what, early signs look pretty good. Uh, NYCFC obviously opened their Concacaf Champions League with a comfortable victory uh, over San Carlos, uh, not Santa Clarita or Santa Cara, whatever I call them in the last episode. Uh, they, they defeated San Carlos and now they're on to a tasty quarterfinal showdown against Tigres in the CONCACAF Champions League. Now, the thing with this NYCFC team, I'm a big fan of this team because I tell you what, when you look at their roster, they top to bottom. There's not a lot of from and we're talking MLS now. From an MLS standpoint, this is a balanced team. This is a team that you look at every single position and they have a plus player at the position. I, in my opinion, I mean, I don't, I don't, they, I don't know what position you look at on the field for NYCFC and say, oh yeah, he is a bad player relative to MLS. I mean, I don't. I think I think you can argue they have a top ten player at every position. I mean, who, let's run through their starting lineup. Let's just, you know, projection. Tata Castellanos, Eber, and Alexandru Mitrita as your front three, right? That's not even including Ismael Tejri and Jesus Medina. So right there, you have depth and you have quality in your front three. In the midfield, Maxi Morales, arguably the best playmaker in MLS, one of the best playmakers in MLS, without question. And then you have varied midfield options. Alexander Ring, the captain. Keaton Parks coming off of the big year on loan. Now he comes in on a permanent deal. Uh, so right there, that's quality in the midfield. And then in the back line, you have Matarita, who has now made the left back position his again after temporarily losing it to Ben Sweat. Uh, you have James Sands, who's really come into his own, and Maxime Cheneau as a center at center backs, and then you have Alexander Collins as another center back who could absolutely start and be a good good starter for you, or you could start him and put James Sands in the midfield. And then you have Anton Tiernholmes, arguably the best right back in MLS last season. For my money, he was on he was my best eleven right back. And then Sean Johnson in gold, U.S. national team goalkeeper Sean Johnson. He could be the U.S. national team starter come the March friendlies given Zach Steffen's injury situation. So top to bottom, you have quality and you have depth because you have attacking pieces that could start on some teams. You have an, you have a third, you have three quality center backs. You even have depth at fullback. I mean, look, right, Joe Scally is, is, has shown well in preseason, he, and he's he's off to the Bundesliga in a year, but he could absolutely see playing time if for whatever reason Tinnerholm's not available. So there's so much to work with there, right? So it really, really comes down to Ronnie Dyla and him being able to put the players in position to succeed. And I think he's smart enough coach to know that I don't need to come in here and reinvent the wheel. I don't need to come in here and do anything drastic because A, these guys know how to play together. And B, they, you know, we have quality everywhere. So, you know, I, from, I tell you what, Dyla, if he is a halfway decent coach, 
this team is going to be right there. This team can compete for a title. This team will be in the conversation for an MLS Cup title and a conversation for the Champions League run. Uh, they're actually pretty well positioned for a Champions League run, given the fact that they have the ex- the experience as a group and they're and they're together as a group, and they have depth. So NYCFC could you know we're talking right now previewing the upcoming season, but look Champions League they're going to be right there. Obviously Tigres is no pushover, even though they barely survived against an, uh, a team from El Salvador, which was pretty shocking, crazy. Uh, it took a goalkeeper goal. Uh, by Nawal Guzman to uh, to avoid the shock elimination. Um, but NYCFC, man, I think they can make a huge run in the Champions League. And they, the, I don't know, uh, it, it's hard. You don't want to hype them up too much because I don't, it, they're not in my top three for, for MLS Cup favorites. But they, when you look at them from top to bottom, I mean, they did a heck of a job putting that squad together, I got to say. Um so, it, so what's the knock against this NYCFC team? What's the question mark about this NYCFC team? I think, it, you know, if it comes down to it, it, we saw in the playoffs, right, defensively, the miscues. And um, I don't know if right now, I think they're a solid defense, right? I don't, like, they gave up the fourth fewest goals in the league last year. So it's not like they, were this, they weren't the galaxy in terms of a bad defense. But they definitely made the mistakes in the playoffs that cost them. So, um Dyla has, uh, has made it clear that he is going to strengthen things defensively. And, and, and one thing I would say is, as much as uh, that it's been quoted many times that, you know, NYCFC, fourth fewest goals in the league last year. That's true. But they also, I think they gave up more chances than that shows. I mean, I think Sean Johnson is really, you know, I think he did a really good job last year making some big, big saves for them. So I think Dyla, if he did his, you know, as Dyla did his homework with this team, I'm sure he saw a team that does give up. Uh, an uncomfortable number of chances for the quality that they have. So he wants to tighten those things up. He wants to tighten that up. And if he succeeds in tightening up the defense, they're going to get the goals. The goals are going to be there between Bear, Mitrita, Maxi Morales, Tati Katayanos, Medina, Toyshradi. They have so many weapons in attack. Um, so if Daly can just help that defense improve just that extra half notch, they're right there. They're right there with Atlanta. They're right there with LAFC. Um, so there you go. That's why I, I mean, I, I'm really big. I'm really I'm bullish on NYCFC, and uh, I think they could absolutely be a team that wins an MLS Cup. They're not my pick to win MLS Cup, but they're going to be right there because they have too much quality from top to bottom. And now we've reached the final team in our Eastern Conference preview, and yes, you've guessed it, the number one team in our preview in the Eastern Conference, is Atlanta United. And I know uh, NYCFC fans are not going to be happy about that, but I got to tell you, folks, uh, I just I just see it. I just see Atlanta really being a powerhouse this year once again. Uh, and I know it, it might come as a surprise to some people that I would pick them number one just because of the changeover in their roster, right? When you think about Julian Gressel, Darlington Nagby especially. I mean, that's a huge loss. Uh, Leandro Gonzalez-Pirez. Uh, those are some big, big pieces. And then you have Michael Parkhurst retiring, a big locker room presence for them. Uh, so how is it that I have them number one again, considering the pieces that they've lost? Well, I'll tell you what, folks. The reason is the weapons that they have are the are some of the best in the league. Joseph Martinez is a beast. He's the best striker in the league, number one. 
And then you have Pitsy Martinez, who I tell you, I, I, I mean, I feel like I've said it a while now. And we had Frank DeBoer on uh, in the in our in our previous episode uh, or two. I've lost track now, but we had Frank DeBoer on, and and if you if you caught that episode, you heard him say, you know, he sees Pitsy Martinez looking looking very sharp, and we see it now in Concacaf Champions League. Pitsy Martinez is going to light it up this season. He obviously had his rough rough go. Rough transition last year, and it was a it was a tough spot for him, right? Because obviously, you know, he at that point in his career, you know, maybe he had aspirations for 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 moving to Europe, and maybe he wasn't necessarily so happy with the the transition to MLS and and, and not feeling comfortable right off the bat. He had the expectations of replacing Miguel Almiron. Uh, him and Frank DeBoer didn't have the smoothest um, beginning to the marriage. So there, there was a lot that worked against him in terms of ha- having a smooth transition. And I've said it before, midfielders, a lot of times, it's not as easy. It's not as easy for midfielders to settle in um, as it is for, say, for strikers when it t- comes to the high-level high players that are coming into the league. But as we've seen now in Champions League, that uh, Pitsy Martinez looks like now he looks like the guy that Atlanta thought they were going to get when they signed him. I mean, he, you know, he it, it, just the movement, the vision, the the touch. I mean, he is deadly. He is a deadly attacking player, and he makes teammates better. Um, so with him playing at that level, I mean. And we're not even talking about Ezekiel Barco, who I think is also poised to have uh, another big year. If there's a question about this Atlanta team, is how do they handle the loss of Donatan Agby? And, and it can't be overstated the work that he does or the work that he did for this team. Uh, he, it, you, I've said it before, he, he does the work of two people. He, it's because his ability to hold the ball and cover ground, uh, his strength in the middle is hard to replace. And and obviously Frank DeBoer said that, you know, it's going to take a committee. It's going to take the efforts of multiple people to help pick up the slack that is missed from Nagby's departure. So who does that? And obviously Emerson Heinemann's going to have a big part to play in that. Uh, and, and, and everyone else, Pitti Martinez, Ezekiel Barco. Uh, so that, that's going to be the question. How do they offset that? Uh, and they and they've got some nice they've got some other nice additions that they've made. Fernando Meza uh, is the guy that you bring in to hopefully replace Leandro Gonzalez Perez. And then you have Brooks Lennon, who has the big shoes to fill of Julian Gressel. And I think that's one where I think Lennon Lennon's kind of become a forgotten man. You know, he he went to Real Salt Lake. You know, he came back from England. Uh, from being at Liverpool, and he was—he's always been an attacking threat, right? He's always been a dangerous winger. RSL made him a, a attacking right back, and he's kind of Gressel in that way. That that you know he's probably better as an attacker, but because he can play right back, you kind of can put him there. Uh, is he Gressel? Could he be as good as Gressel or better? I think he's—I—I I, I tell you what—I think Brooks Lennon could be one of the surprises of the year. Just because people have forgotten about, I mean, three years ago, Brooks, two, not maybe not three, a couple of years ago, people were talking about Bruce Lennon as a future national team starter in terms of just as a such a promising youth national team player. And obviously at RSL, he didn't quite break out like he would have hoped, but the talent is there. The attacking quality is there, uh, the, the quickness, the service. Um, so he has the qualities to thrive in this Atlanta setup. So from that standpoint, I'm not going to sit here and say he's better than Gressel or he will be better than Gressel, but I think he's going to make it easier to move on from Gressel, easier to forget about Gressel because look, he's gone. Gressel is in DC now. Uh, 
so there's no point in there's no point in thinking about Gressel anymore. He's moved on. So um I think Brooks Lennon could be a big, big, big player for Atlanta this year. So that's one to watch as well. And, and then one and then one player that I have to talk about being key for 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 Atlanta this year, and that's uh, Miles Robinson. Now, he obviously had the monster year last year, best 11 caliber center back for them. Uh, he had his injury issues at the end. He got hurt with the national team, and now he's hurt You know, at this point going into the season. So there's question marks there. But when he's healthy, I mean, he is an absolute beast in the back. And, and I think for me, when, when you want to talk about separating Atlanta from NYCFC, and I know some people will say, well, NYCFC should be higher because they have that – consistency of that group right and i get that and i and i see the argument for that but i think for me the reason i have atlanta is uh, as number one is because of miles robinson because new york city fc has a good defense right but they don't have that shut down center back who can just erase everything miles robinson is that guy i think there's only a few of those in mls he's one of them so um nycnc doesn't have that i mean maxime chanot is good i'll give you that maxime chanot is a very good above average center back james sands showing great promise as a center back miles they're not miles robinson so i think from that standpoint that's why i have miles robinson um that's why i have atlanta at number one i think that's kind of what puts them just over uh over the top for me as their uh as the pick and obviously it's you're splitting hairs when you talk about those two teams um because they're both so loaded they're both so they have so much talent um and 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 when you talk about atlanta another player for them the midfielder Mateus rosetto uh young midfielder who uh frank DeBoer had high praise for uh he's someone who you have to think is going to factor into a starting role uh once he gets comfortable with atlanta um so, so yeah i mean atlanta i like the pieces that they've added uh left back remains a question they went and got edgar castillo a little blast from the past the veteran to come in there and help uh help continue to groom george bello who is the left back of the future and and obviously he had the injury hit in 2019 um you like to hope that he can kind of take the you know rebound from that and take that step and maybe be ready to start uh, i mean he's still a teenager so it's he's still young but edgar castillo i tell you what to be able to get him i mean i think he still has something left in the tank for sure um so again another shrewd pickup from carlos bocanegra and and uh, I like Atlanta, man. I like just because Pitsy Martinez and Miles Robinson, those two pieces. You have Joseph Martinez. He's giving you 20 goals. He's giving it to you at least. So, um, But then when you have Martinez who could play at an MVP level, Miles, Ro- Ro- Miles Robinson at a defender of the year level, um, that's why I have them as the top team in the East. And they could absolutely win MLS Cup because if Pitsy Martinez plays at, at the level that Atlanta dreamed of when they signed him and he's looking he's looking that good right now if he plays at that level then he's going to make Martinez that more Joseph Martinez that much more dangerous Ezekiel Barco that much more dangerous Emerson Heinemann that much more dangerous so all of a sudden you're talking about a team that could win another MLS Cup title uh, and that's pretty much it. That's all. That's all thirteen teams. And feel free to disagree with me. Uh, I, I, I could definitely be wrong. And you know, if you, if you're wondering uh, whether or not you should buy anything I've said, feel free to go back and find last year's previews. Uh, I haven't listened to them, so I don't know how off base I was. But I'm sure 
there's some gems in there. I'm sure there's some gems, some some amazing predictions in last year's preview. So if you if you're curious for context, feel free to go listen to last year's uh, uh, Eastern Conference preview and see how I did. Uh, and I'll definitely apologize if it sounds like there's maybe a little bit of a lisp. I am dealing with a uh, a cracked tooth that is killing me right now. And uh, I've been doing the Ambisol. I've been doing some painkillers, uh, but I'm fighting through it. It's it's the week leading up to the start of the MLS season, so it's not it's not a time to go on a DL, folks. We got too much content to put out uh, on SBI and, and obviously the SBI show. I told you guys I would have uh, multiple episodes this week, and this is the first of the conference previews. Uh, the up next is the Western Conference preview. I'm working on. I will work on that next. That's going to be uh, getting cranked out shortly, and then we'll have another episode leading into the weekend which will be a week one preview talking americans abroad talking national team that'll be a more all-encompassing preview but uh if you if you're still listening at this point definitely thank you for listening and feel free to add add your thoughts in the comment section about what you think about my predictions and feel free to rip me feel free to agree with me and and you know what if and if you like this show let me know if you like the episode let me know uh i'm still working my way back into full season form it's been a long time since the SBI show was on hiatus, but it's back and we're going to keep it rolling. So definitely thank you for listening. Uh, appreciate the support as always. Make sure you read SBI for all your MLS season preview content uh, and definitely stay tuned for the Western Conference preview, which is on its way. Uh, that's all for now. I'm Ivis Kolarsen. This is the SBI show.